0: Hello, and welcome to another BJ Psych Advances podcast. My name is Howard Ryland, and I am the trainee editor for BJ Psych Advances. Today, we are recording live at the Royal College of Psychiatrists International Congress 2016 in London. And it's my great pleasure to welcome today, Professor Casey, who is Professor of Psychiatry at University College Dublin, and also the editor of BJ Psych Advances. Welcome Patricia. Well thank you. And today we will be discussing peer reviewing which is a real cornerstone of the scientific publishing process but it can be for many people quite an opaque procedure and there's not a great deal of formal training available. So hoping that this podcast will help people who are thinking of peer reviewing or who have already peer reviewed but want to have some more guidance uh, and that this will be useful for them in terms of understanding that process. So, Patricia, first I would like to start by asking you what is peer reviewing and why is it important? Peer
1: reviewing is the cornerstone of uh, all the quality scientific journals and it is defined as a formal system. Um, whereby a scientific paper is scrutinised by peers. These peers will not have been involved in the preparation of the paper but they will have expertise in that area so it's an independent assessment by your peers.
0: And in terms of the types of paper that a peer reviewer might be asked to look at, what, what are the most common varieties that you might come across? They break down broadly into
1: three groups. The first with which we're most familiar is reviewing original research, reviewing primary research such as drug trials or perhaps imaging studies or epidemiological studies. The second type of uh, review that a person may be asked to uh, provide is to review a narrative review. So somebody reviews a particular topic, particular aspect of psychiatry for a journal, and, and 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 they will provide a review for that. And the third type of paper that one may be asked to review is a systematic review or meta-analysis. And the approach um, in each uh, will be somewhat, somewhat different. There will be overlaps, but there will be differences also. For example, In considering an original piece of research, one will have to examine the methodology, the sample size, the quality of the um, assessment tools. That doesn't apply in the same way to narrative reviews. And again, with systematic reviews, the focus will be on sources of bias, inclusion or exclusion criteria. So the the approach is different, but overall the approach is broadly similar, and I think we'll talk about that in a moment.
0: Thank you. Yes, it would be useful to go on to actually think about what are those different approaches that uh, can be employed in terms of uh, reviewing a paper.
1: Well, the first uh, thing is to um, read the paper, um, assuming that it's within your sphere of expertise, and then put the paper aside, digest it for a day or so, and then come back to it. And then start your peer review by going through it section by section, line by line, reference by reference. And as I've said in the earlier part of the podcast, there will be specific areas that will require specific attention depending on the type of paper. And then when one has gone through and identified strengths, weaknesses, areas for change, one then writes the review and um, after that you put that aside for a day or so and then come back to it. And the reason, the reason that I recommend people do not do this all at once is because new ideas, new thoughts about the paper can come to you um, after you've done the initial review or when you've written the initial review or you may want to um, adjust some of what you've said, you may feel you were too harsh in retrospect so it will allow you to process what, you, what has been written and what you have written and then finally you write the final version of the review and submit it.
0: So that sounds like it can be quite a, a labour intensive process. How, how long would you recommend people would put aside for a review?
1: Peer reviewing is very labour intensive. The minimum for a very simple paper would be two, two and a half hours and um, most papers will take three to four hours and something complex like a systematic review will take much longer. So it is very labour intensive and that's one of the considerations when you receive a paper whether you're going to have the time to to do it or not.
0: So time is clearly a a big issue in Mm -hmm. terms of considering whether you should take on a peer review are there other factors that people should be aware of if they are approached to do a review? I'm sure it's a a great honour and people feel very excited but uh, it's right I think that people shouldn't always take on reviews that they are offered. What would help people to make that decision?
1: People shouldn't always take on papers that are offered, neither should they always decline them because it is an honour and we're doing a service to our peers and to the scientific community in psychiatry by peer reviewing. The the first time consideration I've, I've mentioned, the second consideration is the obvious one, is it within my sphere of expertise, do I know? enough about this subject to peer-review it Um, and knowing enough means that you would certainly need to have had published in that area yourself Um, but you don't need you know an encyclopedic knowledge of the area but you do need to have a general broad understanding of the topic you're being asked to review and to have have at least some publications in that area. The third consideration is whether there's any conflict of interest If you have at any point been connected to the research that's being evaluated or to the writing of the paper or informally or formally advised or read the paper, you know, you you may have been contacted by your friend who's writing a paper to read it and evaluate it. And then if you were asked to peer review it, you have to consider would that constitute a conflict of interest because the central to peer reviewing is independence. So they're the three primary considerations that, that apply when you're first approached.
0: And related to that key component of independence, there are different ways that reviews can be conducted, uh, open as opposed to blinded. I was wondering if you could elaborate on what those different types are and what are the advantages and disadvantages of different approaches?
1: The most common type of review is um, what's called a single blind review where um, you know who the author is but the author doesn't know who is reviewing. Now that has um, the advantage that um, you may know who the, that if you know who the author is you will know that they have or do not have competence in the particular area they're writing about as the case may be. Um, if, if If it's a well known Person, a high-profile authority on the subject, uh, and you are asked to um, peer review the paper. You may feel daunted by that and may decline, even though you you're, you might make an excellent reviewer. So that's one of the disadvantages. Um, the the advantages, on the other hand, that you 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 know the person has has knowledge in that area. Um, and that that can be helpful. It may also, of course, mean that you're going to be biased in their favour and give a favourable review when the paper itself isn't perhaps worthy of publication in the journal that you're reviewing for. Um, double blind is uh, the other, is a second type of review where whereby you don't know who the author is and the author doesn't know who the reviewer is. Um, that probably gets rid of the feelings of. Being overwhelmed or not worthy of reviewing, that a, a, a novice reviewer will feel, and it will also probably um, mean that the person is less likely to be biased if it's if it's a well-known authority on the subject. Um, the research comparing um, single and double-blind shows that in fact um, th- there's no difference in the acceptance or rejection rate under those conditions. The third kind of review is the open peer review. Um, whereby the individual knows who is um, who has reviewed their paper and you you know the name of the author now the the openness doesn 't kick in so to speak until the paper has been accepted. If the paper isn 't accepted, the author will not know who the reviewer was, but if the paper is accepted. The review is put on the journal website and the author and indeed the scientific community at large knows who the reviewer, who, who, who the reviewer is. I think open peer reviewing is very good because it's a good learning exercise for, for other reviewers who are beginning. They can go to, for example, BMC Psychiatry has open reviewing and they can look, and look at the reviews and uh, learn how to do peer reviews. They can go back to the different stages at which the uh, article was and see it evolving during the reviewing process based on the reviewer's comments. And I think that's that's a very good way of learning how to how to peer review given that there isn't much there to assist peer reviewers other than very broad guidelines in the journal.
0: And the role of the peer reviewer is really a, a dual one, both to assist the author in terms of improving the paper but also to advise the editor about acceptance or otherwise of the paper. Um, What does the editor do with the information that the peer reviewer provides?
1: The editor absorbs, reads, takes account of what the peer reviewer has said. In most journals now, there will be more than one peer reviewer. There will be two, three, sometimes four peer reviewers. It takes account of the comments of the peer reviewers and the recommendations of the peer reviewers. And based on the recommendations, but based on the editor's own judgment as well, will make a decision. Reviewers often assume that they are the ones making the decision about what isn't, isn't accepted for, for publication. But the the decision ultimately on whether to publish or not rests with the editor and the editor only. Okay,
0: so the role of the peer reviewer is uh, really a dual one, both to advise the author and to help them to um, improve their paper. But they also work with the editor in actually providing counsel about whether the paper should be accepted to the journal or otherwise, what does the editor do with the information that is provided by the peer reviewer?
1: The editor takes account of the comments of the peer reviewer or the peer reviewers, there are usually more than one in journals nowadays. And the editor um, does not have to abide by the recommendation of the peer reviewer. Um, the editor may will have other considerations, for example, if the paper is on a particular topic and even if all the reviews come in favourably if that topic has been covered extensively in the particular journal and doesn't, sh- doesn't need to be covered again then the editor may decide to decline the uh, the paper so the, the editor assimilates the information provided by, by the reviewers but ultimately he or she will, will, make, will make the final
0: decision. And from your experience as an editor, are you able to shed light on the process of choosing people to do reviews?
1: Well, the process is quite simple in some respects in that the system that's used for the Royal College of Psychiatrists' journals is what's called Bench Press. And Bench Press has a list of people who have published in their journals. Um, on in the bench press system along with the particular area in which they have expertise and at the click of a button you put in the area of expertise and you can get get 100 200 500 names um, and you you select the question is if you've got 500 names how does one decide Um, there are facilities in these systems to select known reviewers people who have reviewed on this topic before that's really the um, the main way of filtering the reviewers. There is no way of um, choosing reviewers whom you know to be good reviewers or not so good reviewers there isn't there isn't a marking system for reviewers inherent in the system so one one can one can only base it on on the reviewer being being known to you or otherwise
0: so I expect that somebody who's not reviewed before may feel apprehensive about how to approach the write-up. Is there a structure that you could recommend that might help people? There
1: is. F- it's important to say firstly that many journals have a pro forma that they provide um, and they, they provide the headings for the um, reviewer to, to, to complete. Um, the Royal College journals don't do that um, but I recommend uh, that the reviewer reviews each section in the paper individually Uh, first of all read and review the introduction then go to the methodology if it's an original piece of research to the results and then to the discussion to the references and then go back to the abstract because you won't actually be able to appreciate the abstract and whether it's relevant until you've read all of the paper So, so prepare your review according to the headings in, in the paper. I would also recommend that some of the abstracts of the references that are cited should be read because often authors will cite papers incorrectly Um, They just have got them mixed up or they won't have read the paper properly. So I I recommend reading at least the abstract, not from all of the references, but from some of the references. And that's particularly important for review papers where the author is is reviewing the quality of research in a particular topic and trying to link it in with clinical practice. And if they have cited a paper incorrectly, that might make a difference to the quality of the paper. So it's important to read the references also. And a further aspect to reviewing is writing a helpful review, even if the paper is being rejected, point out the strengths and also the weaknesses of the paper so that when the author decides to send it elsewhere, he or she can take account of those comments to to improve the chances of getting published elsewhere. If there are some recent references that are available and that the and that the reviewer is aware of that aren't cited, it's helpful to to include them as well. I know, as somebody who writes papers myself, getting a helpful
0: um, helpful reference is, is really very gratifying. Great, thank you. And what happens when somebody finishes the review and submits it?
1: What happens then is that uh, a few weeks later. The person will be advised whether the paper that they accepted, or whether the paper that they reviewed was accepted or rejected. Um, the gap between submitting the review and getting that information may sometimes be quite long particularly if revision was recommended and revised papers aren't always sent back to the reviewers sometimes the editor will deal with the revised paper themselves and then accept it or reject it but but the the reviewer will be made aware of what the outcome was and will also be sent the comments from the other reviewers, and that's a very good learning exercise as well. And it's fascinating sometimes to see the difference in the different foci that the uh, reviewers adopt when they're reviewing. Some will maybe have focused very heavily on the methods, others may have focused heavily on the discussion, others may have focused on some other aspect. So that is also a very good learning exercise for any reviewer, be they they novice or
0: well-trained reviewers. So there can be quite a lot of variation between reviewers. Do we actually have any evidence about what makes a good reviewer? Is it experience, qualifications, or or something else?
1: There is certainly evidence that um, people, the junior doctors, make better reviewers um, than more seasoned um, consultants and professors. Um, there is a um, A review quality instrument that was developed in 2006 that highlights the qualities of a good reviewer and it might be worthwhile my just summarizing those. Um, The first point is that the reviewer, did, did the reviewer discuss the importance of the research question? Secondly, did he or she discuss the originality of the paper? Did the reviewer clearly identify the strengths and the weaknesses of the methodology and of the study design in general? Did the reviewer make specific and useful comments on the paper, on the writing of the paper, the style of writing, on the organisation, the layout, the tables, etc.? A, a further point is where the reviewer's comments constructive. It is not helpful to say things like, this is the worst paper I have ever Reviewed in my life, that is not helpful to somebody's self-esteem. So, were the reviewer's comments constructive? Um, you know, for example, did the reviewer uh, comment on specific ways in which the paper could could be Im- improved? Um, did the reviewer supply um, evidence from the paper to substantiate? his or her claims, particularly about the weaknesses of the study. So pointing to the particular weakness in the study, but conversely pointing to the strengths as well, that will help to boost the the confidence of the writer. Um, Did the reviewer comments on the author's interpretation of the results? And you often find that in novice peer reviewers, don't look at methodology and don't point to the interpretation of the results. Instead, they, they will discuss in very general terms the methodology but they don't go into detail about the methods or about the interpretation of the results and they are the areas in which reviewers are often quite, quite weak um, and finally the reviewer should rate the quality of the, the paper overall um, or of the, the review paper, which whatever kind of paper one is doing the overall quality um, of the paper should be, should be commented upon Generally, editors do not want the reviewer to say in the review itself whether the paper should be accepted, revised or rejected. There's usually a different box for that. And the reason that editors don't want that is because they fear that if the paper is ultimately rejected and yet the reviewers have said it should be accepted, that there will be a call for an appeal. And some papers are appealed and then the paper will be sent to an independent, a further reviewer for an independent opinion.
0: Great, thank you, that's very helpful. Uh, if people are interested, what resources are available for them to be able to find out more?
1: There are a number of resources. The first thing is to check the titles of some of the journals that you read, British Journal of Psychiatry. BJ Psych Advances, hopefully. Any of the other ones as well, other than those produced by the Royal College. And they all have guidelines for reviewers. So you can go to the guidelines for reviewers. They're generally freely available. You don't have to take out a subscription to the journal, And they're freely available. So that's one one useful resource. A second um, useful resource um, is um, BJ Psych Advances. Um, An article was published... Um, in that a few years ago um, the lead editor, the lead author was Dr. Neil Holder and it was published in BJ Psych Advances in 2011 and people can access that. Um, it was, it was uh, in volume 17, pages 150 to 157. People can access that. The third um, resource that's available for people interested in peer reviewing is that uh, the, the Royal College of Psychiatrists, um, and, and I do it for the Royal College of Psychiatrists twice a year, I run a peer reviewers workshop, usually in May, and the next one is happening in December. So if people want to just contact the Royal College of Psychiatrists, um, they will see it on the website when the next one is happening, and they can sign up and come along to that. And that's a day-long workshop where people actually peer review papers they're walked through and talked through a number of papers of different levels of complexity in the course of the day to get them started so all of those resources are available. Of course the other one that I mentioned earlier is a less formal one but it's just going into BMC, psychiatry and checking their published papers online, it's an open access journal and the reviewer's comments and they'll, 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 see, they'll see how reviewers do it, they'll see the actual reviews.
0: Wonderful. Patricia, thank you so much for throwing light onto the dark art of peer reviewing and I hope that people listening feel inspired to get involved with this vital process and feel reassured that it is not such an intimidating activity. I, I think it's great to hear that it's actually junior doctors make excellent reviewers, sometimes better even than uh, more senior academics. So, Patricia, thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed,
1: Howard. It's a pleasure.